John Thanos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm, Million Dollar Agent, back again for another week of tips, strategies, nuggets, and pretty much conversation that leads to nowhere. <laughs> How are you guys? I was wondering where you were going with that. Yes. <laughs> As you should, nowhere. Yes. It's very, it's very unstructured, but I've got to tell you a weird thing about structured. I, I did a presentation. Let's call it organic. Organic. Yeah. This is one of the weirdest things. I did a presentation and I have to say, I spent four hours preparing for this presentation. I created 35 new slides <laughs> and I walked out saying to myself, that's gotta be the worst presentation you've ever done in your life. You walked out or you- I walked out. Finished. I finished, I walked out. And I think to myself that sometimes what actually happens is when you're presenting and you create all these new, new slides, you force yourself when you're speaking to actually stick to the slides and it just felt that there was no authenticity coming through. That afternoon, I went back on to TED Talks and I went in and had a look at a lot of the presentations, which you probably know most of them are 18 minutes. It's so much harder to deliver a presentation in 18 minutes than two hours. Two hours, you can get by mm -hmm. with some stuff that's not so good, but yep. 18 minutes, you've got to have um, no bad spots in it, right? And I can't get over the amount of speakers that get high rankings, lots of views that have very few slides in their presentations when they're talking. They're just very well. Good. Often at TED, they have no slides. No, no slides. You know, they yeah. just do that. I wouldn't feel too bad about it, Tommy, because I've seen you do some really bad speeches. So I reckon it wasn't your worst. <laughs> Don't feel too bad. Okay. <laughs> Don't you notice though? I wasn't when, there, but when you are doing a presentation, it's more about the story. If you can paint a visual picture with the audience, they resonate a lot better. Story is very, very important because I think what happens, Troy, is that a good presentation has got a thread going through it. It, it, it seems to have this message that is explained by stories. And you know, there's a great line, stories sell, facts tell. And yeah. some of the best presentations are people that tell very good stories. The other thing I remember, Doug Malouf, who um, I have not spoke to for many years, but uh, John, you would remember Doug oh, Malouf. He was like Dr. Fred. He was one of my very early and, and, and most important mentors. And uh, he's still in Moorpark Road. He's just around the corner. Right. But a great man and one of the great... He was ahead of his time in real estate, right? Johnny, have you spoke to him at all in recent years? Or Yeah, yeah. Probably not for a couple of years. Right. But uh, I know his health has been challenging. Yeah. But um, I did see him a couple of years ago. and uh, he John, was he was uh, like you uh, in times in de of desperate need when I've had uh, 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 personal health issues. I remember Doug Maloof was a guy that checked in organized yoga for me, would ring up, uh, he was just, he's a very compassionate, very good person, and as mm -hmm. you said, he was a person that appeared to be 10 years ahead of everyone else um, at the time. Um, but Doug Maloof, the reason I bring him up is I remember Doug Maloof saying once, you don't have to be a comedian, but if you can make people laugh through a presentation, you might get called back again. Yeah, and I think, yeah, humour, stories, word pictures, all we've spoken about, they're all parts, and not just of a good presentation, but a good listing. Correct. I think you need to connect with people, make them feel comfortable, um, tell stories, build word pictures, use metaphors. Um, that's what people will remember, a metaphor and a word picture over above a fact. Mm. 
So, you know, I think that's uh, a good thing. But you were also talking before we um, went live about a couple of things which I love, which I'd love you to share with our audience. One of them was around WhatsApp. So what Yeah, yeah so, so, so we thought we'd maybe start off this podcast and maybe we'll do that more frequently. Whenever we think of a great idea, share it uh, um, um, with our audience. WhatsApp is uh, an app that most people would be aware. If you're not, you just get... Uh, um, I think it actually comes with a mobile phone when you buy it. Uh, yeah, or visit or iTunes, you can just download visit it. iTunes. Yep. So a lot of real estate agents, John, are saying that they're using this free WhatsApp as a tool to allow their CSM or their PA and the vendor to have a closed communication group where at the listing presentation, the agent says, so we're all on the same page and that we've all got live communication as it's happening. In addition to any conversations we have, we're also gonna ensure that we put everything we're doing on a thread between the three of us so we're all Brilliant. clear. I love that idea, Troy. Yeah, it's nice. I've actually heard a similar version of that, Tom, where offices, yeah, real estate offices, offices are all on it. So if someone says, just had an offer on 10 Smith Street, um, really exciting, it was the Joneses, and then someone else says, oh, well done, that's awesome. And kind of it, it created a good community, and not just for celebrating, but for, for saying, well, you know, I think you better check because last I heard they were having trouble getting their finance approved or something. So I, I think communication is such a critical part of mm. our job and anything. And some people use um, a Slack, yep. WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, you can set up an email group. So there's a whole range of ways of doing it, but I love the concept. There was another one you used to talk and about. The other, and the other one, John, is that um, everyone wants to provide raving uh, world-class service uh, to their current vendors. And one of the ways is, like, with the many calls that an agent gets is, um, and I think it's Rick Sorayo that told me this, to have a different dial tone for your vendors. So when your mobile goes off, and you know that it's that tone, you know that it's a vendor. As long as it's the right one. You don't have like the Jaws theme song or something. Like Correct. That. You wouldn't want to have the Jaws one. If it's a vendor, you want to have something. Darth Vader. Yes. Well, look, we're not going to spend the podcast trying to work out the right tune. On. All, we're, all, all we're going to say is that it does help to know that if it rings, that you know that that's a vendor. And by the way, if your vendors are doing a lot of the phone calls, there's You're something right, yeah. wrong there, right? Yeah. Because you should be calling most of the vendors. Bob Bowen used to say, always be a caller, never be a callee. Yeah. I like that. Caller, callee. But John, we talked about last week the fact that you'd had five coaching sessions in one day and the theme was getting unstuck. And it's incredible how a one-hour conversation, I think yours were short of 45 minutes, Transformation can happen in a conversation. Transformation rarely happens in an email, rarely happens in an email, but it can happen in a conversation. And I'd love to do the anatomy of what's discussed in a 45-minute transformational conversation and maybe give us a bit of a case study of examples of where that happened. Yeah, so look, the first thing I think, we're all stuck somewhere. We all have blind spots, we all have weaknesses, and no matter how many GCI you're writing or whatever, Everyone, everyone to some degree gets stuck. So the question is, what are you doing to get yourself unstuck? And my view is, as you've just said, Tom, you have to create an environment or a, or a situation, hopefully on a regular basis, not once off, where you have a conversation with someone that, it'd be ideal if it's with someone that's got a bit of experience in this area, but if not, just have the conversation anyway. Um, so I, I, the question is, you know, do you create space for you to do that? Now, I was doing with some of our guys, we have sales managers, we have principals, franchisees, so a whole range of people. 
that are doing these things are happening and Troy's doing them. Every single day they're happening. So you create the environment is the most important thing. What, what do I do? I, I kind of, it's a bit like when I'm with a vendor, Tom, I open up with some sort of some open, wide-ranging questions like, tell me what's happening in your life. Is that, is that pretty much the opening of... Yeah. I, I, often it'll sound like, so Tom, tell me what's happening in life, what's going right, is there any place you're stuck? And that's a kind of, it opens it up wide and then it guides them what's going right because I like to hear the good news and the celebration and that's good and I don't want them to think that that stuff is not important. Generally speaking, John, do you have a pen and paper when you're having these yeah, conversations? Yeah, well, these in front of me here. These are all the notes I took from last week. So right. e- each meeting ended up with two pages of notes. Right. And I've got this little thing that as I come across something that requires future action, I'll asterisk it. Yep. So then at the end of the day, I look through, I look for the asterisks um, and then I say, okay, I need to get back to them about this. I need to follow up about that. And then I file the notes. Now, these happen to be on paper, but most of the time I'm doing them on my iPad in, in Notability, which is just yep. an app that's like a pad. Um, so I think the thing is, firstly, is give yourself that opportunity. Secondly, is if you are the person doing the coaching or helping someone through, open it up with a conversation and don't be too restrictive or don't try and say, what is the right question I have to ask to get the right answer? Just get the conversation flowing. Because I find almost, Tom, no matter what I ask, it only takes five minutes and I'm, I'm kind of there. And I learned a bit of this from Dr. Fred because watching him over the years and experiencing him in these conversations. So how do you know when you're there? Well, you, you kind of intuitively just get there and you, and you get to the place. So I'll say what's happening in your life and what's going right. And then you, oh, I exchanged one yesterday and I had my best month last month, which is fantastic. And you just listen. And then, and is there any area you're stuck? And then all of a sudden the floodgates generally open. And sometimes they open immediately, Troy. Sometimes it takes a bit of time. Some people yeah. kind of, they want to be a bit politically correct. They think being vulnerable is not a good thing. My view is being vulnerable is a good thing. Be honest about where you're stuck and what are your weaknesses and what's not working. And so they kind of go through it. And if you need a bit of prompting, I look at real estate, as you guys know, simply. It's really about prospecting, listing and selling. They're your kind of key areas. So then I'll, I'll prompt them if I'm not getting back. Usually by then we're kind of well and truly into a conversation that's meaningful. But I'll say, okay, well, let's, let's sort of um, break it up prospecting, let's talk through it. Because all we need to do is get you into more doors. When you're inside in the kitchen table, have you sign up a high percentage of listings and then make sure you do a damn great job selling them so you create raving fans, both from the buyers you're dealing with and the seller. It's kind of pretty simple business. And so there's not, you know, 100 levers you've got to pull and got to perfect. There's kind of three areas. So then I, I'll prod there. And here's what I find often tell me. First thing, overarching comment, fear and fear of change is generally the issue. I was, one of the sessions last week, um, good agent, 40 years of age, and I'd been given a guide that this agent was a bit pushy. One of the first things they said when I asked them, so how's everything going, and tell me about what's working well and what's not, they said I'm too pushy. I said, okay, great. I said, I'd heard that. So if I've heard it externally and you're telling me internally, it's kind of let's assume it's right. Um, and, uh, and they said, uh, <coughs> yeah, but I'm 40 years of age, I'm not going to change. And I said, well, that's just a decision. You can change or you can choose not to change, but recognise it is a choice. And so that was sort of the fear of the unknown, the fear of change. But my view is if, if you're prepared to courageously walk through that, every exciting outcome and a whole new world 
lies beyond that, mm. beyond that. The courage to move beyond the fear and not eradicate the fear. Some people say, oh, yeah, but I still have fear. If you're fearful of talking before 5,000 at ARIC, that's not a problem. Walk up on stage and do a great presentation with the fear. If Tom rings you and says, we've identified you as a, one of the best speakers in Australia, we love you, and, and the fear stops you doing it, it's a very different outcome. Yeah. So I still get nervous when in certain situations, less probably than I used to, but still some. But you kind of take it with you. And you recognise it and you look at it from the outside, say, okay, it's interesting, this kind of situation is making me a bit nervous, that's kind of quite good because I want to be at my best, or I want to give a great presentation or do a great listing, and... This could be a life-changing event. If I got this property for sale, that could change my world. So I'll just take that fear with me or that nervousness. So I think a coach that has some level of experience can kind of hold your hand through this. But so firstly, fear, um, inability to change. Maybe I need a better word for that because I think everyone does have the ability to change, but very few do. So perhaps lack of desire to change. Mm. I, I think Troy is one of them. And, um, and then I just drill into the stuff and I say, so talk about prospect list sell. And, and I'll often say, as I said last week, and these are good people, by the way, you know, these are four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar people doing good business. What's your prospecting plan? I hear back answers like, I do a thousand DL cards every month. Mm. I say, okay, it's interesting, what else? Um, that's kind of, that's my main one. And I think, God, we, we teach and we have 11 layers of yeah, prospecting. More, more in uh, some cases. Yeah, each and every one of them, you know, whether it's 11 or 15. But like, yeah. And I, you know, then I take them through it and it's kind of sometimes it's like they're seeing things for the first time. And I'm mm. thinking, my God, you've been through our training, you've been through our courses, you've probably heard this from your principal. You've got to execute, man. You've got to actually do something here because here's a list that I'm handing you. The list is gold. It's, it's like gold on a pad, on a piece of paper. But if you don't do anything, it'll, it's like... So, 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 John, that's interesting. Because if some of these people writing six or 800,000, you would think that at that level, they would at least be aware that there's more than a deal method to actually uh, obtain opportunities to, to get listings. Um, when you spell that out, do you feel that they... They, they actually don't know what to do or they no, do know... They're not doing what they know. In fact, one of them said it. I've written it down. I, I won't look for it now. But um, one of them said, I don't do what I know. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about that because that's a different kind of challenge. Not knowing is a challenge, but easily eradicated. Let's have a quick conversation right write the list. Knowing it and not doing it. So then we, we spoke about that. And, and you know, then I, I have a process I called you know, peeling the onion. So I just keep asking questions. So why is it that you think that you knew those six areas and you refused to do them? Um, and I just, you know, were you fearful? Were you complacent? Were they expensive? And the answer was 11 out of 12 of these cost you zero. Literally cost you, you know, nothing. Nothing or next to nothing. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of probably not money. Is it complacency? Yeah, but at the, most people, it's not knowing why they're doing it. That's, it's, it's the lack of the why, because if someone you loved's life depended on you doing this stuff, you would do it. So mm. it's not a matter of I can't pick the phone up and I wouldn't. You'd just do it. But unless the why is big enough and compelling enough, these things, as we often say, are easier not to do than to do. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of said to them, and I heard a great quote the other day, Tommy, and it was, it was a slide, I think. It might have been even Tom Peters, but... 
it said, who needs you to be on your A game today the most? I like that. Who needs you to be on your A game today the most? And I asked that when we went up to Newcastle, Troy, the other day. And I said, write it down. And, you know, we had kids, yep. spouse, uh, clients, customers, um, my colleagues. My... And I said, great, start thinking about that. And when you're not on your A game, the people on your list, who most of them are very near and dear to you, are suffering. Mm. So if you refuse to prospect, if you refuse to have discipline around planning your day, understand that beyond you there is a consequence, a negative consequence, that's happening to someone you love. Now, is it that you won't be able to send your kids to the right school, you can't go on the holiday that you want to go with your partner, you can't do the course you want to do, you know, whatever it is going to be, there's going to be a consequence. So start realising that it's not just about a bigger GCI, there's a bigger picture on, on people out there. And I think about it, and we've got 2,500 um, employees in the company or team members, and I think about that and I say, man, if I'm not on my game, potentially 2,500 people are being disadvantaged. So that's, that's a much better driver than earning a couple of dollars is, mm. is you want 2,500 people to flourish and, and to be able to send their kids to school and to you know, have a great life and all that sort of stuff. So get on your game, man. Start doing better at what you're doing and being better. But, what, but Johnny, what you're saying is that people will go to extreme lengths if they know that what they're doing is going to benefit another person and um, maybe even more so than self-interest to themselves. Not maybe, 100%, 100%. certainty. Because self-interest is, is kind of okay when you're young, you've got no commitments, and you're broke. You don't want to be broke anymore. Right now, you're the kind of centre of your own life. For a lot of people, that's a fairly traditional story, you know, up until some point in their life. And, but then, all of a sudden, your life changes because you start thinking of other people than you, and whether it's a spouse, partner, kids, colleagues, whatever but you have other responsibilities. And I think that's far more compelling reason to do stuff than I want to buy a better car. How, how often do you reckon they've had that conversation around? I know that the, the guys you were coaching, they get coached quite frequently and they've got phenomenal leadership in that business. But there's a quote that I've got down here in a coaching session that I was doing. It was, when you're in the picture, sometimes it's hard to see the frame. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And that's Mike Sheagold. Yeah, it was actually a Michael Sheagold session that I was doing with him. It's one of his favourite sayings. It's a great saying. But think about it. How many times do we get caught up almost that hamster on the wheel and we don't realise that one prospecting strategy or two prospecting strategies or lead generation activities, we're just too much in the picture that we actually don't know what we should be doing. You can't operate on yourself. Yeah, I've got, I've got to tell you, I find an extremely useful question I heard on a podcast two years ago that helps in instances like that, and it is, what advice would you give to a friend in this situation? Yeah. Or if you were to coach yourself, yeah. what yeah. would you say? Or to yeah. coach a younger staff member, yeah. what would you actually ask? Johnny, I'm very... And Troy, I know you do a lot of coaching as well, and you're an exceptional coach. I know that's from people you've coached. I'd love to ask you both, and maybe we start off with you, John, because we've got about three or four minutes before we finish this podcast. How do you end a coaching session um, with someone? What happens at the end of that conversation? So there's two, two important things. Most of my coaching programs, because I like to get deep and direct with people, there's going to be some things that do run the risk of 
offending is too strong a word, but like I'm pretty direct with people about where they and, and with the the pushy in inverted commas person, I said, well, you know, here's the deal. At some point, you're going to accept reality that mm. you've told me your mother, your husband, and and I know one of your colleagues is has all labelled you pushy, how much more evidence do you need to accept that? And then, then if you accept it, you've got to say, so do you want to be pushy for the rest of your life? Um, let's have a conversation. So I have those direct conversations. So at the end, what I want to make sure is people leave inspired and uplifted and not feeling scarred or bruised. So I, I will, once I've told them the message that I think, then I'll say, so here's the deal. I believe in you. This is, assuming I do, by the way, and I can't remember the last person I coached I didn't believe in. So I say, Tom, here's what I believe. I believe you're a great person. I believe that you're currently operating at 20% of your potential. Compliment, not criticism. I want to help you get to realise all your dreams, not just for you, but for your family and loved ones. So let's just kind of know, put this in context, this was not about being critical, this was about being helpful and constructive. You need people to feel that support at the end. Now let's work out what are the go forward steps? What are the actions? So I go back through my notes. Um, what do we need to do? Do you need any guidance on that or support? Mm -hmm. um, when are we gonna check in? Are we gonna meet in a month? We're we gonna meet in three months? We're we gonna talk next week on the phone. So I think you kind of need to wrap some accountability around it and you definitely um, uh, want to make them know that you care them and your love for them and you're, the, you're doing this with incredibly positive intent. Last thing you want is someone leaving there feeling like they've been beaten up. Yeah. And that's not my intent. Uh, so I, I kind of wrap my arms around them uh, and, and give them that understanding and context, which they kind of know anyway, because that's the relationship I have with most of the people that I'm coaching. Um, and then I think you've just got to work out what are the next steps. Let's summarise it because out of you know three or four pages of notes, there might be three things they've got to do. So let's get really clear about what are those three things. Do you need support? Are you comfortable? And off the back of these, some of them were meeting up with some of our other superstars that I've now got to set up or I'm choosing to set up. I want to set up these meetings with them to get them in front to inspire them. So it's either an action for me or an action for them or something we're going to both check in in, in a week's time. And then hold them accountable. What are the next steps? Yeah, no, very Tim, similar. Tim Ferriss says if it's not in the calendar, it ain't happening. If it's not and scheduled, it's, it's not done. So yeah, yeah. And, and same sort of thing here. If you don't agree on what it is from the coaching session and then agree on a, a point to check in and tell the truth about are we on track or off track with it, you may as well not have the conversation. So mm. I think that, that last little bit's really important. One of the great sayings is, you know, uh, it's all about execution. It's 98% of the puzzle. Yeah. It's the last 98% of the puzzle. Mm. Uh, I actively take notes. I use a, a similar notability app um, and take notes. I'll actually send that to the person. So they'll get my raw notes and tick boxes. Obviously, I'm conscious that they're going to get that. And then very similar to John, it's an area of focus for the next fortnight. And then I'm checking in with them, making a phone call, sending an email, connecting them to the right person. I think you can't leave that meeting with no actionable items. Mm. If you just do that, you're missing the opportunity to actually get them in momentum. And that's what everyone should walk away feeling like they're in momentum from that conversation because it's a break and it's a chance to step back, reevaluate, and go hard again. Pretty, Troisy, pretty much my whole News Corp life and also coaching life, the last sentence is this. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? How are we going to know it's been done? And um, That's what, they ha what you were held accountable to or you were holding others? 
either or right. as a coach. So it's part of the process. Yeah. Or let's yeah. say, yeah. Could. So what are you going to do? When are you going to do it? How are we going to know it's done? And everyone's sort of clear about a nice, simple thing. So uh, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, realestate.com.au. Uh, guys, great. Getting unstuck. I love that uh, <laughs> heading. So um, we're all... I'm about to have a chat right now. My next meeting after this is Peter Fuda, who's going to be one of our yeah, Euro speakers exciting. at ARIC. Yeah. He's an awesome speaker. Most people on this podcast have never heard from him, but Google him. Um, he's a very, fortunately, a very dear friend of mine, and, and he does incredible work. And he is, he's actually going to be, basically his presentation is going to be very much around what we've spoken about is how do you get from your current reality to your desired potential, and, and what's the bridge, and how do you cross it? So... Okay, this is uh, uh, officially the last week of... Uh, this is it. This is the last week. We're going to draw the name out of the hat um, and make the announcement next episode. So if you're listening to this podcast, quickly <laughs> rush in. And by uh, the way, don't wait to be the person that gets drawn out. Book for Eric. Oh yeah, book for Eric. We, believe me, we'll refund your money if, if you're the person drawn out. But seriously, uh, yeah, don't think, okay, well, I'll go to Eric if I win the free ticket. Um just get there now, and, and, and uh, one a very uh, lovely young guy recently um, emailed me, and he just said, "I'd love to come to Eric, but I'm really kind of down on my luck at the moment." And blah blah blah. And, and I said, "Look, I understand your situation. That's the reason you need to get there." Um, I said, "We'll pay it off over the next twelve months. I don't care. I just if if you genuinely want to be there and you're genuinely committed to growth. So if there is anyone listening." Uh, who's genuinely in a situation, they'd love to get there and they can't afford it, let us know. Mm. Uh, send myself, Tom, Troy, Nicola an email um, and we'll find a way because it is going to be, I think, the world's best ever real estate conference and uh, there's going to be 32 speakers of which most will be in a position to change your life. So, so that'll be good. So hopefully we'll see all 7,000 of our... Do we have 7,000 listeners, Troy? Over 10, John. 10,000, John. Over 10,000, <laughs> my God. I gotta, well, we can't, we can't... No, you can't all come... You can't all come because we only limit 5,000. Uh, 10,000 10, is a crowd that's going to your rugby league sporting teams at the moment. 20,000. Uh, on that point, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye, bro. Bye, guys.